0: that though things may change all around us, You are the unchanging God and You are ours forever. When we belong to You, nothing can ever take us from Your hands and You always remain the same. We give You praise that You are almighty and everlasting. And thank You that we can come and sing these beautiful songs of praise which express these truths about our unchanging God. Lord, as we come to your word now too, we pray, Lord, that we would take it to heart, that we would hear what you have to say, that we would obey, and that we would serve our Master and our Supreme Commander, Jesus Christ. We ask this in your precious name, and through the power of your Spirit, do this, we pray. Amen. Well, we come to the end of our studies in the book of Proverbs and so I thought there were some really interesting Proverbs that I came across um, as I was studying this book and so I thought uh, we'd look a little bit at humour in the Bible. Do you like my picture? I think it's a real Baptist picture. (laughs) No, not really. But it is the impression some people have about Christianity, right? We're always so serious. Can't you people lighten up? It is the impression out there. And many who do look at Christians sometimes wonder where the joy of Christ is if they know what that is. And sometimes that's justified but other times it's just an impression. But I pray that as we live out the joy of Jesus Christ people will see that joy in us that doesn't have to be doom and gloom and wearing black. But it can be the joy of Christ, which pervades every part of our lives. We can have fun and laugh because of what Christ has done. And so we're going to look at humor in the Bible specifically. And um, we have to do a little bit of homework here if we understand things properly in Scripture. You'll notice I've only got two pages. Unlike Dave 17 last week. (laughs) No, we're not comparing Let's look at what the Bible says. You see, as Christians, we've got to be serious about the things of God because the the matters of life and death are serious, aren't they? Unfortunately, in the past, things have been misused. So a guy called Jerome is a famous dead guy. And Augustine, another famous dead guy they had some weird ways of looking at Scripture and some of the principles that come out in Scripture. For instance, in the whole area of sex, even inside of marriage, they said you are not to enjoy it because enjoyment is sinfulness. And that was preached from the pulpits. And and that has actually carried on into today's uh, perception of Christians. They don't even enjoy sex. In the Middle Ages, there was another misuse of, or misunderstanding rather, of what Scripture says. And there was this great emphasis on not showing enjoyment in your lives either. You need to be serious about things. And so there was this whole stress on wearing black and no colors at all. So black and white, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, that's what you have to wear. No colors. Color is sinful. Crazy where people get these things from. But even those things have pervaded. I come from South Africa and um, many times... When you go to some of the more traditional churches, you'll still see just black suits, white shirts. But fortunately, that's all changing now as well. It's kind of a hangover from the past. And then, of course, you have the opposite extreme as well, where you have Christian so-called comedy shows. And God jokes are in. And even the most risque god jokes are in where there just seems to be no sense of a reverence for god at all and anything christian is up for grabs and for the sake of comedy coarseness even is used in these christian comedy shows that's the other extreme so what is where do we see humor in the bible well It speaks about God's laughter in the Bible. Let's look a bit at that. It's a serious kind of laughter. So I'm sorry to kind of uh, bring you back to serious again. But there is serious laughter in scripture. And it's really serious because it's got to do with our lives. It's got to do with life and death. And it says that God laughs. So let's look at this. Psalm 37 verse 12 to 13 says this. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth. Now, old English there, gnash. We don't do much gnashing of teeth now. It's when you're really feeling strongly against something that you grind your teeth together. You gnash your teeth. And it's a silent G, by the way. It's not Ganesh, All right. Except if you're a gnu. So, the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked again why for he sees that their day is coming so what type of laughter is this that God has it's a righteous laughter it's a righteous it's a laughter which comes from a sense of I know what is going to happen and though they do what they may the truth is that they will have their day of judgment now where does that come from it comes from the Eastern understanding of laughter. And as Westerners, we don't kind of get there. In the ancient Near East, humor was used from a position of power. So a king would laugh at his enemies. Because he came from a position of power. He knew what he was able to do. And if his enemies tried to come against him, there was a righteous laughter, a, a, a laughter of power that would come from him. He knew that he could defeat them easily. He would laugh at any of the attempts. So it's serious laughter. Also in the ancient Near East, laughter was used in in quite a crude way. So if you captured an enemy, or if you spoke about your enemy, you would get coarse and crude about them. You'd laugh at them. So there's that type of laughter. And it comes out in Scripture, and in the way that we should interpret Scripture. There was also a laughter which was in a way belittling others. A kind of a heavy sarcasm. That also is used in the Eastern concept of laughter. They didn't make jokes like we make jokes. They didn't take laughter lightly. And we as Westerners must understand that concept. And then there's use of humor to make a point. And Jesus often makes use of this type of humor where he makes something so preposterous that you have to laugh at it and we're going to come to examples of this soon so that's the type of humor that's used in the east ancient near east way of doing things so god's laughter is there's a serious laughter the psalmist again points us out when he says, Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land, and the Lord knows the, that the wicked will face a reckoning. And therefore you get a, a psalm like Psalm 2 verses 2 and 4, which declares that the kings of the earth take their stand, marshalling themselves against the Lord and against His anointed one. Then the one enthroned in heaven laughs. Why? Because He's God Almighty. He's God omnipotent. Who can come up against them? So there is serious laughter in scripture. God laughs. Well let's look at Jesus' humor. There's this very humorous, well it really appeals to my sense of humor, this really humorous account and I believe it's given to us exactly like it happened there for the point to be found in John chapter 9. And that's the account of the blind man that Jesus gives sight and we're going to actually read it together 35 verses of it so you might as well turn there John chapter 9 and I'm going to stop and comment as we go can't help myself John chapter 9 verse 1 as Jesus passed by he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Okay? Often people still ask that today. What have these people done wrong that they punished? Um, sorry, just to comment on that. At funeral services, you'll often get that people say, he was such a good guy, You can't understand why these things would happen to him. Same principle here. All right. Jesus answered, it was not this that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's a whole sermon of a different Sunday. Right? Because we haven't got blase about these things. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, now look at, look at the humor starting to come in here. Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no. But he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. Can you see the guy hopping up? In the, it is me. I love that so they said to him then how were your eyes opened he answered the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me go to Siloam and wash so I went and washed and received my sight they said to him where is he he said I don't know they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind next act act 2 now it was a Sabbath day mm-hmm when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed and I see. And the Pharisees would have thought, Huh! He worked on the Sabbath! Now they wanted to catch Jesus. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and, and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. They miss the wood for the trees. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Some are seeing the wood for the trees. And there was a division amongst them. So they again said to the blind man, You see, you do the same thing over and over and hope you get a different result. So they came back to the same guy. They said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. They don't want to hear that. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. So we don't believe him. We're the parents. Someone is going to give us the answer we want. And they said to the parents, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. Now, that kind of sounds a bit, Come on, why don't you ask us? Just ask the man. He can speak for himself. But actually there is a Jewish concept here. He was of age to be someone who could speak and it would stand in court. And they were afraid of speaking up against the Pharisees because then they would be in the... In the in, so they kind of passed the buck onto their son. And he's again in the hot seat. I love this humor. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Now I love this. This is... The, this is we're getting to Act 3. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. Speaking about who? Jesus. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Don't you love it? And they reviled him saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Now look at this theology from this blind man. Fantastic. He puts them in their spot. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Take that. They answered him, you were born in to sin, and you would teach us. And they cast them out. See, if you can't beat them, throw them out. I love that. Isn't that good humor there? And it's there for us to see in God's Word. Yes, we can smile about Scripture. Jesus, uh, in another instance, he called two brothers, James and John. And they were known for their vile tempers, for their short wicks. And so when Jesus calls James and John to become his disciples, he renames them. And he calls them sons of commotion. The literal translation or the word here is buanerges, sons of thunder. And Jesus knew they had short wicks, and yet he called them to be his disciples. But I love that name he gives them. And they lived up to their name. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 to 55, when a village that Jesus went in didn't want to hear what what Jesus had to say. They said, Lord, they don't want to hear, shall we call down thunder and lightning from heaven? Short wicks. They lived up to their names. Mark chapter 9 Verse 38, they found someone healing people in the name of Jesus Christ, casting out demons. And they said, Lord, we try to stop him from casting out demons in your name. Oh, you sons of thunder. And then in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, they came with a special request to Jesus. Now listen to this. Lord, when we get to heaven one day, can one of us sit on your left and one on your right? You see... Lived up to their name. Another instance, and this is where I was speaking about this Eastern mindset of exaggerating humor. So, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus showed this humor when he stated, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log in your own eye? And he uses those two words deliberately. Speck, very small, log, massive, or plank. You see if a child was there standing listening to Jesus, and there would have been children there, they would have burst out laughing. Why? Because the pictures ridiculous. There's this man with his big log, he's trying to hold it up, and he's trying to use this eye with a log in it to try and find a little speck in his brother's eye, and he keeps hitting the other guy with a log. It's ridiculous, but that's the point," Jesus said. You see, it's supposed to appear ludicrous and silly. Because Jesus wanted to teach them that if you've got humility, you would not pick out the tiny flaws you see in others. You'd look to yourself first. That's what he wanted to teach, and he uses humor. And then there's this really good account when the Lord has appointed Philip as one of his apostles. And um, Philip brings someone else called Nathaniel to Jesus. Because he wants Nathanael to meet Jesus. And when Nathanael hears, and Nathanael, if you know any background about Nathanael, he was a just man of God, he was a pure Israelite, the one who knew the law. He was upright in his way he lived. He was a straight-laced guy. Serious, he probably wore black. And when he heard that the Messiah had been found, he sarcastically replies, what? Can anything good come of Nazareth? What? He's from Nazareth? Well, Jesus knows that. And so when Nathanael approaches Jesus, Jesus states, now look at the humor here. He is a true descendant of our ancestor Israel, and he isn't deceitful. Now, you need to know a little bit of background there. So Israel, another name for Israel was Jacob. And Jacob meant someone who is full of guile and who deceives. And so when Jesus says, oh, here's a true Israelite, one who doesn't deceive. He was actually having a bit of a dig at Nathanael about his being a true Israelite. One who is not like his ancestor. So there's a bit of a few instances of humor that Jesus uses. Now, we're in the book of Proverbs, if you didn't believe it. Um, and so let's look at the few interesting um, Proverbs that i found to do with humor here. And keep in mind what we said about how humor is used in the Near East, because um, you'll see how that comes out, especially in this first one. And I've called it, Don't Poo Poo the Ox. Alright, next picture, there you go. It should put you off your lunch. I'm a farmer, it doesn't bother me. Proverbs 14 verse 4 says this, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. So what's it saying? Yes, you can have a clean stable and clean mangers and everything is neat and tidy in its place. But you will starve. Because if you want to have an abundant crop, you're going to have to put up with a bit of poo. And have cattle, because they bring you your crop. You see the wisdom in that? Now, in today's life, uh, I don't want to moralize, but just think of the principle in your own home. You live in a museum or a home? I I say that reverently. Um, It's good to be good and tidy, but we mustn't overdo it. Our family need to enjoy our homes too sometimes. And now, teens, I can already hear what you're saying. Yay! You mean my room can be... No, t- no, 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 no. It's not It's not a plea for slovenliness. You'd still honor the Lord through the way you look after what He's given you. And a sense of orderliness. But there's just a principle there for you. Sometimes we want... Um, to grow and see things change, we've got to put up with a little bit of messiness. Okay. Here's the second one. Mighty will like this one. Herbs, not barbecue. I've called it. Proverbs fifteen seventeen. Better a dinner with herbs where love is, than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Now you need to understand Eastern hospitality here. You see, when you invited someone to your home in the Eastern context, you would kill the fattened calf. That's what they did. And uh, I don't know what vegans did those days, but um, there were lots of fattened calves and things around. You ate a lot of meat those days, and that was a way of showing hospitality. You would give the best and put it on the table. But what is the writer to the uh, the, the 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 writer of Proverbs saying here? He's saying Better to have a dinner with less, just herbs, where love is, than to have a fattened ox, the epitome of Eastern hospitality, but hatred with it. Do you get the point? So he uses extreme opposites to make his point. May that rest where it may rest in us. What is our family like? Do we get together? Do we try and put things there so that it reflects well on us or do we rather have less and love those who are in our homes there's that point that can be made to right here's another one Proverbs 16:26. I've called this the mouthy worker a worker's appetite works for him his mouth urges him on I can just hear that hurry up I'm hungry work hard So what is that that talking about? It's speaking about hunger as a good incentive to work hard. We have an English expression, you'll do anything for a crust." Well, that's what it's kind of talking about here. But saying it in an interesting way, a worker's appetite works for him. You seem to work harder when you know you're working to keep yourself alive. That keeps you going. There's a serious side to this as well. Proverbs 17.28, the silent fool. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. Look at those words. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I love that dry humor there. When a fool closes his mouth, even a fool seems intelligent. I wish our politicians would hear this one. next one, and this one uh, quite a, some of you might know anyway, Proverbs 21 verse 9, I've called it I'm off to the roof dear and we looked at this one last time, it's better to live in the corner of a house top than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife, now we need to understand this in eastern context alright, are you with me, don't throw things it doesn't look like that in the east, alright that's not what the roof looks like in uh, The roof you see over there is where people would stay. They would stay on the rooftops. There was a place there because it was cool in the heat of the day. They'd put up shelter. And it was an outside area, much like we would barbecue outside. They had it on top of the house. And that's where you would stay. It was cool. People would even sleep up there at nights. But he's saying it's better to go and live in just in a little corner on the rooftop than to live inside with a quarrelsome wife where it's resounding with sound. Right. I like that one. Sorry, dear. My wife doesn't quarrel with me. All Right, right, here we go. Five is there. Proverbs 23, verse 1 to 8. I want to read this one to you. Proverbs 23, verse 1 to 8. I've called this, Now you see them, now you don't. Proverbs 23. Now there are three Proverbs kind of tied together. So see the wisdom here. Proverbs twenty three one to three. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies for they are deceptive food. So if you get the picture, there's the, the, the ruler has called you in for lunch with him, big feast set out before you, and you plunk yourself no you get put down at the table where you're supposed to sit, and you dig in. The writer of the proverb says, careful, there's a reason you're here. No ruler asks you to come and sit down without him having a reason for having you there. There's always something in it for him. So this food is deceptive food. Be careful. Put a knife to your throat if you show gluttony. Here's the second part of it. Do not toil to acquire wealth. You see those things are connected. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. Now in the ancient Near East, they had a symbol for fleeting wealth. And it was a symbol of a flying bird. Wealth is like a flying bird. Now you see it, and then it's gone. So don't put your heart on it. We should listen to that one today. And then lastly, verse 6, the opposite extreme to the ruler. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit, vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. So there you see the stingy man asks you to come and eat at his house and he's definitely got a reason why he'll ask you because he doesn't give things away and every time you sit and eat he's calculating (laughs) another apple gone some more pork gone but he's not in it for you be careful there's the opposite of that um, first picture we saw with the ruler and then to keep it in the vomiting theme while we're there now It's called Vomiting Goodness, Proverbs 25, verse 16. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. Right, now, do you see the principle there? Too much of a good thing, right? And there's a great principle we in the West could really take note of. Not just with the possessions we have but with the way we treat ourselves and just pour money into looking after ourselves and our needs and our wants and things to make me happy. Too much of a good thing. And look where our society ends up. Think of the example given in scripture of the Lord providing quail and manna. He said to them, only take so much and then on my day, Make sure that you don't collect anything. And what did they do on the on the day before the Lord's day? What did they do? They pigged themselves because God had provided more for the next day. They pigged out, and they got sick. Some died, and worms and things started coming through the food. Alright, There's the principle. Right. This one you might know if you've got good good neighbours. Proverbs 25:17, called cup of sugar. Let your foot be seldom, and literally it's saying here, let your foot, make your foot rare and make it heavy in your neighbor's house. Lest he have his full of you and hate you. Okay, you know the old expression, neighbor comes around, oh, could I borrow a cup of sugar? And that comes every day. A cup of sugar this, a lawnmower next thing, and so they carry on. And you never seem to see those things back again. Be careful that you don't become that neighbor. Everything must be done in moderation. So if you're going to visit your neighbors, go and see your neighbors. Scripture talks about getting to know your neighbors. How else there will be salt and light in this world. So get to know your neighbors, but familiarity breeds contempt. Be careful. Don't overdo it. That's the principle. I love this next one. Called it Catch a Dog by the Ears. Proverbs twenty six seventeen says this: Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Now we're not talking about our poochies that look like this these days, all right? We're talking about a Middle Eastern dog. They were mangy curs. We saw some of those in Ethiopia and in India. You don't get too near them because if they bite you, you're going to pick up disease. So the Bible says, if you, if you meddling someone else's affairs it's like trying to catch one of these curs by the ears I want to give you a bit of advice two words try it see what happens anyone try to grab a dog by the ears you're going to get bitten and that's the warning that's given here using this bit of humour because anyone in the east would know you don't go near those dogs at all second last one Proverbs 26 verse 27 says this, Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Very similar in meaning to, Whatever a man sows, he shall reap. Right? Aren't we so good these days at saying, Oh, they really deserve to get more? Uh, you see people that stuff happens in community and people just want to hang someone. Someone' head's got to roll. Well, be careful in that attitude. If you get the stone rolling, yours might be the one that lands on. Um, they had two types of traps in the ancient world. Well, many more, but two main ones sp- uh, spoken about here. The one was a hole that you dig, cover it up, and someone would walk along and fall in it, usually onto spikes or something like that, or two high and they couldn't get out and they'd just starve all people would come along and kill them alright so that's the one the hole in the ground the other one was on an incline a narrow place where you had to go through a rock would be mounted somewhere and when you came you'd have, there's a trip wire that you'd walk on um, and it would trigger this rock to fall down and crush whoever was in that place you couldn't get out interesting just a thought went through my head those who put Jesus in the tomb and that rock was rolled on an incline down in front of the two mouths, how that rock would roll on them later. Because Jesus burst that thing open. But that's just an aside. Similarly in meaning to whatever a man sows, he shall reap. Examples in the Bible, think of the history of Esther, Naaman, uh, Haman, he built that gallows and he wanted to hang Mordecai on those gallows. And what happened in the end? The whole story got turned around and Haman got hung on his own gallows. The one he had prepared for someone else. There's the principle. And Daniel, his enemies wanted to get rid of him. What happened to them? They thought they could throw him into the den of lions because the king's law decreed it. And so they maneuvered things so that he would have to be thrown into the den of lions. He survived by God's grace. And they got thrown in there and died. There's the principle for us. And then lastly, and I've called this one high maintenance, and I use this with tongue in cheek, alright? High maintenance. Proverbs 27, verse 23 to 27. I just want to read this to you. Now if you're not a farmer, just listen up, because you've got goods and possessions. Know well the condition of your flocks, and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide for your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and maintenance for your maids or your girls. So, what is the lesson over there? It is, look after what the Lord has given to you. Look after the provisions He's given you. They don't just come automatically. Be thankful. Know where these things come from. God has given them to you. But I just love that last line there. And they provide as maintenance for your girls. Now, I had two girls in the house. And I must say, they weren't high maintenance. But I've heard horror stories from others. Um, there's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek there. Maintenance for your girls. Now, what do we do with this? Do we see the Bible then as a book of rules, or do we see this as a joke book? Well, it's neither, really. The Bible is not a book of rules. Yes, it contains the Ten Commandments. As many of us outside Christianity will tell you, they'll tell you it's just all about rules. I don't want to become a Christian because I've just got to keep rules. What fun's there in that? It's not about that. The Bible is a book of God's wisdom and as we've been working through the book of Proverbs we've been working through various commands Use some in the humorous way but what is the point of it all? The point of it all is apply God's wisdom. We've gone through various scenarios but the point is apply God's wisdom. Chase after wisdom, don't go after folly. Be a man and a woman who honors God. Chase after these things. Apply my wisdom, says God through the book of Proverbs. Matthew 11.15 says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hebrews 3.15 says this, Remember what it says, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. You see, the first generation of Israelites were denied the inheritance in Canaan because they didn't apply the wisdom of God. And so God calls to us today, be a generation of people who learn from those who have come before you. Apply my wisdom and live forever. And that's basically a summary of the book of Proverbs. Apply God's wisdom, go after it, and the Lord will bless you as you live a blessed life through and for Him. Right? It's not all serious, but it is all to be applied in wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that even though we read some weird Proverbs, Lord, we know that the principles they contain are there for us in our everyday lives. And so, Lord, as we continue in the study of Your Word at this church, may we always take those principles seriously. May we take seriously what you point out to us in our lives. May we listen to what your Spirit is saying. May we not make a mockery of things that you point out in our lives. May we listen while there is time. And you will change us and use us for your kingdom. Thank you for your word and the riches it contains. And thank you that we can partake of those riches. May we go after the wisdom of God for your glory, we ask. Amen.